Chapter twenty two of Marius the Epicurean, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Marius the Epicurean, Volume two, by Walter Pater. Chapter twenty two. The Minor Peace of the Church. Faithful to the spirit of his early Epicurean philosophy and the impulse to surrender himself, in perfectly liberal inquiry about it to anything that as a matter of fact attracted or impressed him strongly marius informed himself with much pains concerning the church in cecilia's house inclining at first to explain the peculiarities of that place by the establishment there of the scola or common hall of one of those burial guilds which then covered so much of the unofficial and as it might be called subterranean enterprise of roman society and what he found thus looking literally for the dead among the living was the vision of a natural a scrupulously natural love transforming by some new gift of insight into the truth of human relationships and under the urgency of some new motive by him so far unfathomable all the conditions of life he saw in all its primitive freshness and amid the lovely facts of its actual coming into the world as a reality of experience that regenerate type of humanity which centuries later giotto and his successors down to the best and purest days of the young raphael working under conditions very friendly to the imagination were to conceive as an artistic ideal he felt there felt amid the stirring of some wonderful new hope within himself the genius the unique power of christianity in exercise then as it has been exercised ever since in spite of many hindrances and under the most inopportune circumstances chastity as he seemed to understand the chastity of men and women amid all the conditions and with the results proper to such chastity is the most beautiful thing in the world and the truest conservation of that creative energy by which men and women were first brought into it the nature of the family for which the better genius of old rome itself had sincerely cared of the family and its appropriate affections all that love of one's kindred by which obviously one does triumph in some degree over death had never been so felt before here surely in its genial warmth its jealous exclusion of all that was opposed to it to its own immaculate naturalness in the head set around the sacred thing on every side this development of the family did but carry forward and give effect to the purposes the kindness of nature itself friendly to man as if by way of a due recognition of some immeasurable divine condescension manifest in a certain historic fact its influence was felt more especially at those points which demanded some sacrifice of oneself for the weak for the aged for little children and even for the dead and then for its constant outward token its significant manner or index it issued in a certain debonair grace and a certain mystic attractiveness a courtesy which made marius doubt whether that famed greek blitheness or gaiety or grace in the handling of life had been after all an unrivalled success contrasting with the incurable insipidity of even what was most exquisite in the higher roman life of what was still truest to the primitive soul of goodness amid its evil the new creation he now looked on as it were a picture beyond the craft of any master of old pagan beauty had indeed all the appropriate freshness of a bride adorned for her husband things new and old seemed to be coming as if out of some goodly treasure-house the brain full of science 
the heart rich with various sentiment possessing with all this surprising healthfulness this reality of heart you would hardly believe writes pliny to his own wife what a longing for you possesses me habit that we have not been used to be apart adds herein to the primary force of affection it is this keeps me awake at night fancying i see you beside me that is why my feet take me unconsciously to your sitting-room at those hours when i was wont to visit you there that is why i turn from the door of the empty chamber sad and ill at ease like an excluded lover there is a real ideal from that family life the protection of which had been the motive of so large a part of the religion of the romans still surviving among them as it survived also in aurelius his disposition and aims and spite of slanderous tongues in the attained sweetness of his interior life what marius had been permitted to see was a realization of such life higher still and with yes with a more effective sanction and motive than it had ever possessed before in that fact or series of facts to be ascertained by those who would the central glory of the reign of the antonines was that society had attained in it though very imperfectly and for the most part by cumbrous effort of law many of those ends to which christianity went straight with the sufficiency the success of a direct and appropriate instinct pagan rome too had its touching charity sermons on occasion of great public distress its charity children in long file in memory of the elder empress faustina its prototype under patronage of esculapius of the modern hospital for the sick on the island of st bartholomew but what pagan charity was doing tardily and as if with the painful calculation of old age the church was doing almost without thinking about it with all the liberal enterprise of youth because it was her very being thus to do you fail to realize your own good intentions she seems to say to pagan virtue pagan kindness she identified herself with those intentions and advanced them with an unparalleled freedom and largeness the gentle seneca would have a reverent burial provided even for the dead body of a criminal yet when a certain woman collected for interment the insulted remains of nero the pagan world surmised that she must be a christian only a christian would have been likely to conceive so chivalrous a devotion towards mere wretchedness we refuse to be witnesses even of a homicide commanded by the law boasts the dainty conscience of a christian apologist we take no part in your cruel sports nor in the spectacles of the amphitheatre and we hold that to witness a murder is the same thing as to commit one and there was another duty almost forgotten the sense of which rousseau brought back to the degenerate society of a later age in an impassioned discourse the sophist favorinus counsels mothers to suckle their own infants and there are roman epitaphs erected to mothers which gratefully record this proof of natural affection as a thing then unusual in this matter too what a sanction what a provocative to natural duty lay in the image discovered to augustus by the tiburtine sibyl amid the aurora of a new age the image of the divine mother and the child just then rising upon the world like the dawn christian belief again had presented itself as a great inspirer of chastity chastity in turn realized in the whole scope of its conditions fortified that rehabilitation of peaceful labor after the mind the pattern of the workman of galilee which was another of the natural instincts of the catholic church as being indeed the long-desired initiator of a religion of cheerfulness as a true lover of the industry so to term it the labor the creation of god and this severe yet genial assertion of the ideal of woman of the family 
of industry of man's work in life so close to the truth of nature was also in that charmed hour of the minor peace of the church realized as an influence tending to beauty to the adornment of life in the world the sword in the world the right eye plucked out the right hand cut off the spirit of reproach which those images express and of which monasticism is the fulfilment reflect one side only of the nature of the divine missionary of the new testament opposed to yet blent with this ascetic or militant character is the function of the good shepherd serene blithe and debonair beyond the gentlest shepherd of greek mythology of a king under whom the beatific vision is realized of a reign of peace peace of heart among men such aspect of the divine character of christ rightly understood is indeed the final consummation of that bold and brilliant hopefulness in man's nature which had sustained him so far through his immense labors his immense sorrows and of which pagan gaiety in the handling of life is but a minor achievement sometimes one sometimes the other of those two contrasted aspects of its founder have in different ages and under the urgency of different human needs been at work also in the christian church certainly in that brief peace of the church under the antonines the spirit of a pastoral security and happiness seems to have been largely expanded there in the early church of rome was to be seen and on sufficiently reasonable grounds that satisfaction and serenity on a dispassionate survey of the facts of life which all hearts had desired though for the most part in vain contrasting itself for marius in particular very forcibly with the imperial philosopher's so heavy burden of unrelieved melancholy it was christianity in its humanity or even its humanism in its generous hopes for man its common sense and alacrity of cheerful service its sympathy with all creatures its appreciation of beauty and daylight the angel of righteousness says the shepherd of hermas the most characteristic religious book of that age its pilgrim's progress the angel of righteousness is modest and delicate and meek and quiet take from thyself grief for as hamlet will one day discover tis the sister of doubt and ill-temper grief is more evil than any other spirit of evil and is most dreadful to the servants of god and beyond all spirits destroyeth man for as when good news is come to one in grief straightway he forgetteth his former grief and no longer attendeth to anything except the good news which he hath heard so do ye also having received a renewal of your soul through the beholding of these good things put on therefore gladness that hath always favour before god and is acceptable unto him and delight thyself in it for every man that is glad doeth the things that are good and thinketh good thoughts despising grief such were the commonplaces of this new people among whom so much of what marius had valued most in the old world seemed to be under renewal and further promotion some transforming spirit was at work to harmonize contrasts to deepen expression a spirit which in its dealing with the elements of ancient life was guided by a wonderful tact of selection exclusion juxtaposition begetting thereby a unique effect of freshness a grave yet wholesome beauty because the world of sense the whole outward world was understood to set forth the veritable unction and royalty of a certain priesthood and kingship of the soul within among the prerogatives of which was a delightful sense of freedom the reader may think perhaps that marius who epicurean as he was had his visionary aptitudes by an inversion of one of plato's peculiarities with which he was of course familiar must have descended by foresight upon a later age than his own 
and anticipated Christian poetry and art as they came to be under the influence of St. Francis of Assisi. But if he dreamed on one of those nights of the beautiful house of Cecilia, its lights and flowers, of Cecilia herself moving among the lilies, with an enhanced grace as happens sometimes in healthy dreams, it was indeed hardly an anticipation. He had lighted, by one of the peculiar intellectual good fortunes of his life, upon a period when, even more than in the days of austericesis which had proceeded and which were to follow it, the church was true for a moment, truer perhaps than she would ever be again, to that element of profound serenity in the soul of her founder, which reflected the eternal good will of God to men, in whom, according to the oldest version of the angelic message, he is well pleased. For what Christianity did many centuries afterwards in the way of informing an art, a poetry of graver and higher beauty, we may think, than that of Greek art and poetry at their best, was in truth conformable to the original tendency of its genius. The genuine capacity of the Catholic Church in this direction, discoverable from the first in the New Testament, was also really at work in that earlier piece under the Antonines, the minor piece of the Church, as we might call it, in distinction from the final piece of the Church, commonly so called, under Constantine. St. Francis, with his following in the sphere of poetry and of the arts, the voice of Dante, the hand of Giotto, giving visible feature and color and a palpable place among men to the regenerate race, did but re-establish a continuity only suspended in part by those troublous intervening centuries, the Dark Ages, properly thus named, with the gracious spirit of the primitive church as manifested in that first early springtide of her success. The greater peace of Constantine, on the other hand, in many ways does but establish the exclusiveness, the Puritanism, the ascetic gloom which in the period between Aurelius and the first Christian emperor characterize a church under misunderstanding or oppression, driven back in a world of tasteless controversy inwards upon herself. Already, in the reign of Antoninus Pius, the time was gone by when men became Christians under some sudden and overpowering impression and with all the disturbing results of such a crisis. At this period the larger number, perhaps, had been born Christians, had been ever with peaceful hearts in their father's house. That earlier belief in the speedy coming of judgment and of the end of the world, with the consequences it so naturally involved in the temper of men's minds, was dying out. Every day the contrast between the church and the world was becoming less pronounced. And now also, as the church rested a while from opposition, that rapid self-development outward from within, proper to times of peace, was in progress. Antoninus Pius, it might seem, more truly even than Marcus Aurelius himself, was of that group of pagan saints for whom Dante, like Augustine, had provided in his scheme of the house with many mansions. A sincere old Roman piety had urged his fortunately constituted nature to no mistakes, no offences against humanity and of his entire freedom from guile one reward had been this singular happiness, that under his rule there was no shedding of Christian blood. To him belonged that half-humorous placidity of soul, of a kind of illustrated later very effectively by Montaigne, which, starting with an instinct of mere fairness towards human nature in the world, seems at last actually to qualify its possessor to be almost the friend of the people of Christ amiable in its own nature and full of a reasonable gaiety christianity has often had its advantage of characters such as that 
the geniality of antoninus pius like the geniality of the earth itself had permitted the church as being in truth no alien from that old mother earth to expand and thrive for a season as by natural process and that charmed period under the antonines extending to the later years of the reign of aurelius beautiful brief chapter of ecclesiastical history contains as one of its motives of interest the earliest development of christian ritual under the precedence of the church of rome again as in one of those mystical quaint visions of the shepherd of hermas the aged woman was become by degrees more and more youthful and in the third vision she was quite young and radiant with beauty only her hair was that of an aged woman and at the last she was joyous and seated upon a throne seated upon a throne because her position is a strong one the subterranean worship of the church belonged properly to those years of her early history in which it was illegal for her to worship at all but hiding herself for a while as conflict grew violent she resumed when there was felt to be no more than ordinary risk her natural freedom and the kind of outward prosperity she was enjoying in those moments of her first peace her modes of worship now blossoming freely above ground was reinforced by the decision at this point of a crisis in her internal history in the history of the church as throughout the moral history of mankind there are two distinct ideals either of which it is possible to maintain two conceptions under one or the other of which we may represent to ourselves men's efforts toward a better life corresponding to those two contrasted aspects noted above as discernible in the picture afforded by the new testament itself of the character of christ the ideal of asceticism represents moral effort as essentially a sacrifice the sacrifice of one part of human nature to another that it may live the more completely in what survives of it while the ideal of culture represents it as a harmonious development of all the parts of human nature in just proportion to each other it was to the latter order of ideas that the church and especially the church of rome in the age of the antonines freely lent herself in that earlier piece she had set up for herself the ideal of spiritual development under the guidance of an instinct by which in those serene moments she was absolutely true to the peaceful soul of her founder good will to men she said in whom god himself is well pleased for a little while at least there was no forced opposition between the soul and the body the world and the spirit and the grace of graciousness itself was preeminently with the people of christ tact good sense ever the note of a true orthodoxy the merciful compromises of the church indicative of her imperial vocation in regard to all the varieties of humankind with the universality of which the old roman pastorship she was superseding is but a prototype was already become conspicuous in spite of a discredited irritating vindictive society all around her against that divine urbanity and moderation the old error of montanus we read of dimly was a fanatical revolt the old error of montanus we read of dimly was a fanatical revolt sour falsely anti-mundane even with an air of ascetic affectation and a bigoted distaste in particular for all the peculiar graces of womanhood by it the desire to please was understood to come of the author of evil in this interval of quietness it was perhaps inevitable by the law of reaction that some such extravagances of the religious temper should arise but again the church of rome now becoming every day more and more completely the capital of the christian world checked the nascent montanism or puritanism of the moment vindicating for all christian people a cheerful liberty of heart against many a narrow group of sectaries all alike in their different ways 
accusers of the genial creation of God. With her full fresh faith in the Evangel, in a veritable regeneration of the earth and the body and the dignity of man's entire personal being for a season at least, at that critical period in the development of Christianity, she was for reason, for common sense, for fairness to human nature, and generally for what may be called the naturalness of Christianity, as also for its comely order. She would be brought to her king in raiment of needlework. It was by the bishops of Rome diligently transforming themselves in the true Catholic sense into universal pastors, that the path of what we must call humanism was thus defined. And then, in this hour of expansion, as if now at last the Catholic Church might venture to show her outward lineaments as they really were, worship, the beauty of holiness, nay, the elegance of sanctity was developed with a bold and confident gladness, the like of which has hardly been the ideal of worship in any later age. The tables, in fact, were turned. The prize of a cheerful temper on a candid survey of life was no longer with the pagan world. The aesthetic charm of the Catholic Church, her evocative power over all that is eloquent and expressive in the better mind of man, her outward comeliness, her dignifying convictions about human nature. All this is abundantly realized centuries later by Dante and Giotto, by the great medieval church-builders, by the great ritualists like St. Gregory and the masters of sacred music in the Middle Age, we may see already, in dim anticipation, in those charmed moments towards the end of the second century. Dissipated or turned aside partly through the fatal mistake of Marcus Aurelius himself, for a brief space of time we may discern that influence clearly predominant there. What might seem harsh as dogma was already justifying itself as worship, according to the sound rule, lex orandi, lex credendi. Our creeds are but the brief abstract of our prayer and song. The wonderful liturgical spirit of the Church, her wholly unparalleled genius for worship being thus awake, she was rapidly reorganizing both pagan and Jewish elements of ritual for the expanding therein of her own new heart of devotion. Like the institutions of monasticism, like the Gothic style of architecture, the ritual system of the Church, as we see it in historic retrospect, ranks as one of the great conjoint and, so to term them, necessary products of human mind destined for ages to come to direct with so deep a fascination men's religious instincts, it was then already recognizable as a new and precious fact in the sum of things. What has been on the whole the method of the Church, as a power of sweetness and patience in dealing with matters like pagan art, pagan literature, was even then manifest, and has the character of the moderation, the divine moderation, of Christ himself. It was only among the ignorant indeed, only in the villages, that Christianity, even in conscious triumph over paganism, was really betrayed into iconoclasm. In the final peace of the church under Constantine, while there was plenty of destructive fanaticism in the country, the revolution was accomplished in the larger towns in a manner more orderly and discreet, in the Roman manner. The faithful were bent less on the destruction of the old pagan temples than on their conversion to a new and higher use and with much beautiful furniture ready to hand, they became Christian sanctuaries. Already in accordance with such maturer wisdom, the Church of the Minor Peace had adopted many of the graces of pagan feeling and pagan custom, as being indeed a living creature, taking up, transforming, accommodating still more closely to the human heart what of right belonged to it. 
In this way an obscure synagogue was expanded into the Catholic Church, gathering from a richer and more varied field of sound that had remained for him those old Roman harmonies, some notes of which Gregory the Great centuries later and after generations of interrupted development formed into the Gregorian music. She was already, as we have heard, the house of song, of a wonderful new music and posy. As if in anticipation of the sixteenth century, the church was becoming humanistic in an earlier and unimpeachable renaissance. Singing there had been an abundance from the first, though often it dared only be of the heart, and it burst forth when it might into the beginnings of a true ecclesiastical music, the Jewish Psalter, inherited from the synagogue, turning now gradually from Greek into Latin, broken Latin, into Italian, as the ritual use of the rich, fresh, expressive vernacular superseded the earlier authorized language of the church. Through certain surviving remnants of Greek in the latter Latin liturgies, we may still discern a highly interesting intermediate phase of ritual development, when the Greek and the Latin were in combination, the poor surely, the poor and the children of that liberal Roman church, responding already in their own vulgar tongue to an office said in the original liturgical Greek. That hymn sung in the early morning of which Pliny had heard was kindling into the service of the Mass. The Mass indeed would appear to have been said continuously from the apostolic age. Its details, as one by one they become visible in later history, have already the character of what is ancient and venerable. We are very old, and ye are young, they seem to protest to those who fail to understand them. Ritual, in fact, like all other elements of religion, must grow and cannot be made grow by the same law of development which prevails everywhere else, in the moral as in the physical world. As regards this special phase of the religious life, however, such development seems to have been unusually rapid in the subterranean age which preceded Constantine and in the very first days of the final triumph of the church the mass emerges to general view already substantially complete wisdom was dealing as with the dust of creeds and philosophies so also with the dust of outworn religious usage like the very spirit of life itself organizing soul and body out of the lime and clay of the earth in a generous eclecticism within the bounds of her liberty and as by some providential power within her she gathers and serviceably adopts as in other matters so in ritual one thing here another there from various sources gnostic jewish pagan to adorn and beautify the greatest act of worship the world has seen it was thus the liturgy of the church came to be full of consolations for the human soul and destined surely one day under the sanction of so many ages of human experience to take exclusive possession of the religious consciousness Tantum ergo sacramentum venerimur cernui, and antiquum documentum novo cedit ritui. End of chapter twenty two. Recording by Philip Gould.